already deep in your UX career, it's still important to keep your portfolio polished. everyone, welcome to Designer Sushi, a podcast about the everyday life of a UX designer through the perspectives of two career switcher UX designers that have a shared working abroad experience in Japan. I'm your host, Mika, and I'm located in Tokyo, Japan. And I'm your other host, Lori, and I'm located in Toronto, Canada. So welcome everyone to another episode of Designer Sushi. And so this episode is going to be, uh, I guess, quite different than our other ones as we're going to be talking about burnout and work stress yes (laughs) because like me and Mika we were talking about how that we've been feeling a bit stressed lately maybe not even related to our work but just like in general in terms of like the UX industry so I feel like this topic is not really shared with people like once we enter into UX they kind of make it all like very fairy tale glamorous and fun and while it, it is a fun exciting and really great industry to be in and we have definitely no regret. Obviously, there is some stress that comes involved. So we hope that when we share our stress, it just gives a more realistic point of view, the UX industry that we hope that you will take in consideration and be prepared for if you are entering into UX. But before we do that, we're going to start off with a positive note. And that is an icebreaker just to get to know us as hosts, because we feel that this might be fun. And then you might learn something about like the icebreaker or about us. So the icebreaker that uh, will We'll be talking about is what's your favorite area in Tokyo? So Mika, do you have any favorite areas in Tokyo that you are dying to share with the listeners? I do actually. And for me, my favorite area would be Shibuya. And I know if you're listening, you're you're gonna, you know, go like, oh my god, too mainstream. <laughs> I it's know. Like actually, everyone's favorite place, like that's not <laughs> local. Like, or even local too. Uh, but a lot of tourists, like they always think of yeah, Shibuya as the place to go because of the yeah, Hachiko and uh yeah, the Hachiko, the, the Shibuya crossing. Yeah. I know, guys. I know. <laughs> but there's so many things to do, though, in Shibuya, though. So, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Give us a local perspective of besides the Hachiko statue and that crossing, too. Like, there's so much well, more character. Well, for me, I have more of a personal reason why I love Shibuya. And it's because it just gives off that uh, vibrant feel. And it's a, pretty much a melting pot uh, of all kinds of people where you can see some one who wears a corporate attire and then you walk further in that area and then you see someone cosplaying and you know you can do so many things like there are lots of karaoke karaoke places that you can go to you can dine out and I just have so many good memories of meeting friends and hanging out in that area that's why um you know it feels so special to me because whenever I go there and pass by those for example restaurants that I visited with my friends i'm always visited with good memories you know so that's why it's special to me so how about you Lori? though what what is your favorite area in tokyo so my favorite area in tokyo it was very hard to choose because tokyo there's so many characters involved it's really hard to define just like Mm. one thing so like yeah shibuya is not just part of tokyo but it is a great area and it's an area that i enjoyed very much when i lived there but for me one of my favorite areas is a place that i used to live i don't know if you're familiar with this area mika like are you familiar with Suginamiku? Sugina- no. Okay, so it's no. like on 
on the it's west of the Chuo line. So like after you pass Nakano, then you'll go to the Suginamiku. So Suginamiku is quite local in the sense that it's you don't see any English speaking at all. It's very uh, a lot of families live there and also young professionals. So like I like this area because it combines both the quiet and nature aspect of Tokyo, which people tend to forget that Tokyo has a lot of really greenery and nice parks, but it also has like really great local restaurants and commercial shopping too. So Suginamiku is just on the Chuo, like let's just say, yeah, the Chuo line. It would be Koenji and then Asagaya and then Ogikubo. And I lived in Ogikubo and it was one of my mm. favorite areas I lived. I lived in more than like three or four different areas in Tokyo, but Ogikubo was my ultimate favorite because it was quiet, it was convenient, and it was the first on the Maranochi line. You will get a seat first of the Tokyo Metro. So I always got a seat. <laughs> and it's also close to Kichijoji too. And Kichijoji was like my favorite place to go shopping because it, it was close to the Ghibli Museum. I don't know if you knew about that. Right, right. Yeah. And it was close ah. to that Inokashira Park, which is like one of my favorite parks of all time because it has a lake and then you see many children and many dogs there. So yeah, I, I really enjoy that aspect of living in, in Tokyo was many tourists don't even know and also really great shopping too. So a lot of times I didn't even go to like the main areas like Shibuya to go shopping. I just literally just went to Kichijoji, which was more tamed. <laughs> yeah, but then again, that's the beauty of Tokyo, right? Like even with the hustle and bustle, there's always a place where you can escape, you know, and, mm-hmm. and be with nature, even in the middle of a city. I think a lot of people don't know this about Tokyo is that, yeah, like you said, a very great combination to relax and just be alone with yourself. It's not always about the hustle and bustle. Like there are a lot of areas in Tokyo like that, but there are also a lot of areas that where you can just relax right. and just, yeah, so it, I think it's, they have a great work-life balance. So yeah, I hope that helped with all our listeners yeah. to understand more about Tokyo and to get to know about us. Sometimes um, in the future, we hope to add in more icebreakers, maybe related to Japan, but we're not going to have them like all the time. We're just testing it out. Watch out for those icebreakers. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Definitely. So yeah, let's get into like the deep and hard, very personal Woo! topic. Here we go. <laughs> so Mika is going to be Woo! kind enough to start us off and be vulnerable <laughs> and share us the stress that she's dealing with right now. Uh, am I going to be spilling some tea? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I'm stressing right now about having to keep up with what's happening in the industry. I think it's something that is collectively felt by all designers, whether you're a junior or you're, you're a senior. I think there's just so much going on in tech in general. And so there's always that pressure to always be updated with what's going on. And yeah, I mean, it's almost like every other week, there's always this new tool coming out. And, and you know, you like you get that pressure like, oh, I have to learn this. Oh, there's another thing that's a new tool on the block that I have to learn it again or something like that. And so that's been one of the things that stresses me right now. But I guess that that's something that, Laura, you must also have felt. And another thing would be updating my portfolio. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's like, it's so funny because... You're dealing with this right yeah. now and you have a job, but you know, a lot of junior designers that you deal with is like looking for a job. So you need to explain. Yeah. Give us more on that because people yeah. are probably like, you probably don't need to like deal with your portfolio anymore. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you're already deep in your UX career, it's still important to keep your portfolio polished. And so I'm trying to do this like regular upkeep of my portfolio, but you know, sometimes life gets in the way and you 
you know, you tend to kind of like put it aside for a while. But then I feel like I'm in this period where, yeah, I, I definitely should focus on updating my portfolio. And yeah, I, I mean, as designers, we should be doing this, not just when we're about to look for a job. Although I think common practice would be, okay, I'm looking for a job, then I guess it's time to update my portfolio. But I'm trying to do this as a practice. So not necessarily updating your portfolio only when you're looking for a job, but something that you do as a routine. I know that I personally haven't updated my portfolio since I got my job. And I, it, mm. one of the reasons I haven't updated it is because it took too much work. I was unemployed at that yeah. time, so I had more effort to update it. Mm. But now at this point, like I'm not, yeah, one of the common reasons is that when you're looking for a job, you want to update it. And that's one of the reasons that I haven't been updating it because I'm not looking for a job. But I can totally see the benefit in getting that routine and updating it so that when you're ready to look, you don't have to do as much work compared to if you were consistently updating it. I think many UX designers are pretty relating to this situation because we all agree that yeah, the updating of the portfolio is very time consuming. And yeah, it just doesn't make sense if we have a job because no one's going to look really at our portfolio. But how I'm trying to think of it is to maybe tackle certain area of it. If I'm thinking of this like a product, how about make one version of it like an MVP and like just push out something that's very yeah. tiny. If you want to, let's say like update the UI, then just focus on that. And then once that's done, then you can take a break and then get at it again. It's funny that you say that because I've been doing it like that. <laughs> I started off just reskinning the website. You know, it doesn't matter if the content of the portfolio itself has been updated. So I just started with updating the look and feel. And then after that, okay, MVP 1.0 done. Now MVP 2.0, I need to update one case study or two case studies. Okay. So kind of like doing it in phases as well. So that's been really helpful. So I think for for designers who are already working and don't have the time to polish their portfolio, that is a good approach to take when you want to uh, refine your portfolio further. Like for me, I, yeah. I feel that because the work that I'm doing, it's taking a lot longer than the mm. other past projects that I dealt with. But it's because when I didn't have a job, they were, you know, bootcamp projects and bootcamp projects are really small time frame. But like, and realistically, UX projects, they go for at least more than a year. So I'm thinking like, should I wait until it's launched? Should I wait until I hand over the designs to the developers? Or should I yeah. wait until I am looking for a job? So I'm like, don't even know if like the projects I'm dealing with right now at my work, I don't even know when's the right time to do it. So that's why I've been putting it off because some of these projects are taking longer than what I was used to in my like mm. camp and volunteer experience. Well, one thing that you can do about that is if it's a project that you want to feature in your portfolio, you can post it still on your website and just go full case study coming soon or something like that. Sort of host that project as sort of a teaser of a future case study that you're going to have on your website. So at least it's already there and you can just wait for your project to finish or you can already add some stuff that you could place there and then just yeah. have that disclaimer like full content coming soon or this project is currently ongoing or something like that. Oh, okay. That, that's a good tip. I think I some people have told me to do that, but I think that's a good tip in terms of breaking down increments of your portfolio. Yeah. Like one increment, yeah, can be just to have it as you are currently working on this project and to show that you're not on your portfolio, that you're not unemployed. I guess it shows that it's still ongoing. Yeah. It's I a think, good way to like finish a case study, right? Like you're pretty much making your case 
case study as you're doing the project. Yeah. That's another good tip. Okay. I guess I'm learning a lot <laughs> on how to deal with my portfolio. Happy to help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then last thing. Okay. Let me move to the last thing so that we can talk about your stresses. <laughs> so for me, last would be the simultaneous projects that have been happening. So I've been involved in some projects outside of my work. And even within my work right now, I've been dabbling with a lot of stuff. And, you know, it's so easy to kind of, so easy to spiral down. Like if you're not careful enough, you might find yourself, okay, if I don't slow down anytime soon, I, I'm on, I'm pretty much on the road to burnout. And so I kind of have to learn to pace myself. Like when I feel like, okay, I'm about to like get too overwhelmed. So I need to step back. And so for me, the way I handle the, those kinds of problems would be to just ask for help and, you know, don't be afraid to open up to your coworkers, which I know in Japan, it can be hard. Yeah. You know, depend. Mm-hmm. well, it depends on, on what kind of work environment you have. Some people, they find it difficult to open up to their coworkers, maybe because they don't have much as much rapport with each other. But if you have colleagues that you can freely talk to, it really helps to just open up to them like look I'm uh, I'm really having a hard time right now you know and thankfully for me I'm pretty lucky where I can tell them like look I'm getting pretty overwhelmed right now I'm trying to like take it slow and just take it day by day and they've been super helpful and they just go okay understand like if you need my help you know just let me know so it doesn't even mean that you're passing uh, some of your responsibility to other people it's just that the feeling of venting out and just opening up I think that's more than enough to relieve you of some stress and some pressure to know that there are people who are aware of what you're going through or if you're having a hard time they would be more than willing to help you and so that really is huge for me that I have co-workers whom I can open up with and just let them know how I'm feeling that's what I would say how a good way of handling stress yeah that's a good way especially I know that yeah in Japan they like to they call it like tatemai showing to people that they're okay but deep down mm-hmm. they're not showing their true feelings so I think you starting off being vulnerable and saying hey I need help I think that might let Japanese people know it's okay to show like how you're currently feeling you don't always have to feel that you are okay but really you're not and I think that's mm-hmm. one aspect of Japanese culture that can be quite toxic is that and the mental health is not that great is because they don't really like to show their true feelings and they're just too polite and just want to please everyone just so to avoid conflict but I think it's important to open up sometimes if you're like feeling stressed for example because you don't want to get burned out on yourself that's going to affect even a lot more like health issues later on yeah and I think it has more than just projecting an image right I think it has more to do with them not wanting to be an inconvenience to other people and so they think that it's better to just keep it to themselves if they're feeling stressed or they're having a hard time they feel like it's better to just endure it alone because they don't want to feel like they're a burden to other people I mean at some point you're gonna need help no matter what and so mm-hmm. it, it's really great if you can find people whom you can rely on and I tried this one time when I was working at a, a very corporate Japanese company like I just randomly approach a Japanese co-worker He's, and I, I told him like look I'm having a hard time and then he was so surprised <laughs> like he's never gone like oh yeah oh, my kohai needs help yeah like he never had the experience of like someone opening up to him with about personal stuff and just basically <laughs> told my story but as a result of that we became closer and he, soon enough like he would be opening up to me as well so 
it sometimes it just takes one person to break the ice pretty much and just be vulnerable with other people mm-hmm. yeah i know like from my experience yeah too with japanese people a lot of times i can tell that they need help but they're just not asking like taking that initiative so there were a few times that my past jobs i had to ask them and be like oh how's it going is everything okay and sometimes mm. i would just like you know do it the japanese way just not say indirectly i would just be like yeah i'm struggling with this type of work and then in the end they'd be struggling with it too and then we'd have conversations about it make it like not saying hey i need help it's more like i had to put it on myself saying i need help just for them to open up yeah sometimes you have to reach out right like mm-hmm. you're the one who has to like take initiative in those situations mm-hmm. so i think it's time for your moment laurie what about you okay i guess the stress that i'm dealing with is there is that pressure to stand out in the ux industry because ux is getting quite competitive there's a lot of talented people that are working in this industry and there's just not enough jobs for all these wonderful people that are working in ux Mm. so i have this pressure to always be overachieving and projecting myself on let's say on linkedin as Mm. someone that is one of like the top candidates in ux so it Mm. so i do feel that pressure especially on linkedin because you know linkedin is a social media tool that we need to develop our personal branding in order to get jobs so i have this pressure that i need to make a lot of noise on linkedin and i think i've talked about this before and i but it's just been a a stress that i have been feeling with for a while is that the projection of myself and trying to show the world that I am Mm. an expert in UX like and I'm feeling the imposter syndrome when I see Mm. these type of people so a lot of times I would in order to make myself as an expert I would actually be always hustling and doing other side projects and it seems like other side projects besides our full-time job it's kind of glorified in our industry like we're actually promoting this in a sense because you're not the first UX designer I know that's doing another side hustle. Like I, yeah. you know, there's quite a few, and we see it on YouTube and in podcasts. Many UX designers are doing something else besides their full time job. So I know that, like, okay, there is something that is glorified in this in our industries. And I'm just thinking, like, I'm, I'm a bit in this turning point in my career. I'm like, do I do another side hustle so that I can move up in my career? Because it seems like everyone else is doing it, and they're going to be moving up in their career, and I'm going to be left behind, or just want to have a healthier work life balance and just just focus Mm. on my full-time job which is usually important to do and not worry about some of these side projects because actually Mika I actually don't have that many side projects because I know you have a lot like we discussed do yeah and it's great like I I love the side projects you and the initiatives you're doing like honestly I don't have that many I think I only have like yeah this podcast and that's it so it's (laughs) It's uh, not you're not in a bad place Lori you're not (laughs) you're doing great oh thank you like I think that's like the stress that I'm feeling like, do you ever get that that, that feeling that as mm. someone that's in UX design and product design, we have to do a lot more initiatives and side projects in order to stand out because of, I'm assuming, mm. it, is it because of the competitiveness of our industry? Well, I mean, of course, it kind of gives you an edge, right? Like if you're working on other stuff outside of what you do at work. Although for me, I took on side projects, not necessarily because I want 
to quote unquote stand out. It's just that I got an opportunity to work on these projects and I like the concepts. And so, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so, and I had the time to a lot to work on those projects. And so that's why I did it. And so I guess it's a matter of what your motivation is whenever you do a side project. I would say if you're listening if, and you're thinking of taking on a side project, I would suggest make sure you know what you want to do. Like don't just take on side projects because, oh, I need a side project so that I can advance in my career, but really do stuff that matters to you. Because if you're in a job that you don't really like, then why are you going to go for another side project that you don't really like, but you just do it because for, let's say, if just because for the money or just to advance your career. So it's a good opportunity to really explore what you want to do. So mm-hmm. it, it can be a good or bad thing. Uh, I mean, it depends on how you approach it. It's just that for me, like my motivation for this side project was just, I just want to make stuff. That's it. And that's why I, I'm working on these side projects. But then again, you know, you still have to pace yourself. You don't want to bite off more than you can chew. And so you got to learn how to like step back and slow down and stop feeling guilty if you're not productive 24-7. As long as you're healthy, as long as you're happy and you're not overworking yourself, you're doing great. Yeah, that feels, <laughs> that feels much better. Yeah, I guess because I actually do compare myself to others and I get really affected by it and it really puts me down. I actually deactivated my Instagram for that reason because I got too caught up in comparing myself and like I should be following what other people are doing. So and I and I felt bad that I wasn't doing a side hustle or a side project. I but I think many UX designers they do it is because at their current work they're not getting the skills in UX as they want. So they have to find another set of skills elsewhere and that's through side hustle side projects and then that got me thinking too I'm like do I need to be someone that needs to have all these skills because UX is so new so it's not defined so someone that is has our titles a UX designer they could be doing completely different things they could probably be even just doing research only and not even touching wireframes for example right right so I think is this problem with our industry like are we just like not defining it properly and we're just creating all this stress for nothing because like you know my sister she's an engineer and Mm. she doesn't even have to do side projects or anything to further (laughs) her career literally after work she just does her own thing so my sister i remember she was asking me she's like why are you doing so much of your work what kind of engineer is she she is a chemical engineer oh okay i can see why she doesn't need side projects because i mean i think it has something to do with the nature of our work because we're kind of in the mix of being a tech and creative professional right and so it's kind of a common practice within the creative community to always be working on different kinds of stuff you know whether for example for musicians right they do they do collaborations with each other apart from you know their albums so i think it's common phenomenon within the creative community um for example a doctor doesn't need a side project to to further his career right like (laughs) right but i guess it's a different ball game for us i would say that's true yeah i think as tech is moving so fast like you said before yeah add, yeah. add, to, add that to the pressure right right yeah but you have to keep up with it and i guess like maybe some processes are different in different companies and they go for like that certain skill in their job compared to like i don't know other careers like in i don't know like accounting and stuff it's always like the same thing that they do but like different mm. industries <laughs> but i think for us mm. it's like it has to be that skill because i think like software developers they go through the same thing too 
I was talking to a front end developer and he was saying how like he never worked with like CSS before like oh. that. Yeah. So he wants to focus more on not on just CSS, but like something else that's different because yeah, different companies have different things to deal with in tech. Yeah. And there's always something new. That's the thing. I'm pretty sure every designer, every tech professional can relate to the pressure of having to keep up with everything and having to be knowledgeable with the latest trends. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like a job on its own, right? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's a job on its own, pretty much. For sure. Right now, how am I trying to handle it is that mm. just working on something that improvement and self-growth that's non-design related, because I do enjoy seeing like my skills grow. But I think if I'm just always focusing on my career, like UX, I just gonna feel even more burnt out, even more. So part mm. of like one of the reasons why I love living in Japan because I just saw my growth in the Japanese language. I was studying it and just seeing like my level grow. I was just insanely proud of myself on how that happened. So I started to work on yeah, like self-improvement and growth. And so I started taking singing lessons and wow cool yeah and it's I just started so it even then my teacher was like still seeing that growth that I was like from the beginning till now so I'm really enjoying that and it's really helped to reduce that stress it's just something fun to do but still learning and it's not even related to like a career it's just like a yeah like a hobby mm. so I've just been doing that and then just taking it easy and trying to remind myself that I am someone that I'm comparing they may have like five plus years of experience compared to someone that's like me I don't have five plus years experience so they may have that pain point into looking for something elsewhere or thinking about that growth but I have to realize that in my career that I don't need to yeah compare myself to someone at that level so yeah just trying to remind myself that and because we can't do everything exactly we cannot do everything like at some point you really have to compromise right like once you figure out what you really value then uh, you know there will come a time where you have to really maybe give up one thing because you value another thing over you know for example with career maybe you don't need to be always working on a side project because you prioritize let's say having more free time yeah it depends on at where you at in your career and mm-hmm. you know yeah. what your what your priorities are mm-hmm. and then you Mika you say you do side projects because you really enjoy doing them and there's some people that are like that they just want to do it because they mm-hmm. believe in like the problem that they're solving with these side projects and you're just not doing it just to advance yourself in your career but so I haven't found anything like that yet that's why I haven't taken any because there's nothing that has clicked with me and I think that's okay too that you don't yeah need totally to mm-hmm. totally like you don't need to like pressure yourself into like oh everyone around me is having side projects so I should have one too so that's not necessarily the case because you know you don't also know what's going on in their lives they could be they could look like they're having such a colorful career but you know you don't know the struggle behind the scenes I guess it's just a matter of reflecting and being at peace where you're at right now. And yeah, taking comfort in that. You're just taking your time. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip. And that's something that hopefully yeah, <laughs> I can update you on how that's going. Yeah. And I want to know how your singing lessons 
Go. <laughs> Am I gonna get some song covers sometime? Because <laughs> I love doing karaoke. I love I love to sing as well. Oh, yeah, I always started to do singing lessons because I wanted to get better at karaoke and just to sing in pitch. Hmm. And it's a good skill to have. If people know yeah, that you sing, know, they're always right? so shocked. And a lot of times, yeah, and all my friends are always like, oh, wow, like, I'm like too old to do this. And I'm like, no, you're, like, you're never too old to do anything. The only thing that's stopping you is that you just don't want to take the time and effort to do yeah. it. So. And it's also fear. Like, I don't know if you've read the, the book by Elizabeth Gilbert called, um, what was it? Creative Magic. Have you heard of that book? Oh, no. What is it about? Well, pretty much she described there that every person has a creative energy mm -hmm. to them and they just don't maximize it to its full potential. And the underlying reason is always fear. Mm -hmm. So fear because, for example, oh, I'm already too old, so I, I shouldn't be pursuing this because I'm already old or because I'm good enough or because I don't have enough money and then once you break that down it's always fear whether it's fear of being rejected fear of not excelling feeling of fear of not meeting your own expectation so it, it all comes down to fear and so that book is pretty much like how to make peace with that and even if you're you know you feel that fear you still go for your goal or whatever creative pursuit that you have in mind mm. so it's it's a wonderful book I, I would say like I would recommend it to to whoever's listening right now it's it's a good book to read if you're if you're someone who's struggling with your own creativity or if you're feeling lost and you don't know what to do and it's a good read oh wow it was very insightful it got me thinking that when you mentioned the fear I just know like yeah in the past I was always fearful of to pursue things like for example like to to work abroad I was mm. I was just too comfortable and then I think just wanted to get out of my comfort zone and then I just went moved into a different country where I knew no one and didn't know the language and honestly it's, it was just like one of the best experience I had and it was all because like that fear was stopping me for that reason it was because mm. I I was scared to go and live in a different country that was just out of my environment and and I think some yeah fear can be quite toxic because we're not living our full potential if we're just so scared of doing things but I think if just know that we were all scared like yeah to career transition into UX and that was super scary and, but now that we're here we're like extremely happy about it it's the even best thing ever right yeah <laughs> even though we're still we're talking about stress here <laughs> Okay, people, if you're listening, this this is not an episode for us to bash, you know, the the UX industry. <laughs> it's not meant for. That. I know we're we just end, about, we just you end know, this episode struggle. with like, oh yeah, we love UX. Oh, by the way. <laughs> Uh, this is a stress. It's not that like that, doing. okay? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's pretty interesting that you said that about you know having fears because I, I just remembered about what Elizabeth Gilbert said in that book. It's not about you know getting rid of your fears because your fears are there for a reason because your fears are the ones that that enabled you to survive. Because when before civilization began, it's the fear that kept us alive, right, from being hunted by predators. But now that we live in an age where you know relatively we're safe and so our fears are now rooted in other things so it's not just for survival but pretty much her point was having accepting fear but not letting it control you so maybe if you're in a car and your fear is with you in the car then you can have your fear in in the back seat but don't let it take over the driver's seat yeah that's really interesting I think yeah you need to check out this book then we all do yeah go, go ahead go buy it in amazon oh my Oh my gosh, Mika, you're like, give me her some commission. <laughs>
Oh, Hashtag that. not sponsored. <laughs> uh, but wouldn't it be amazing if you sponsored us? Yes, uh, please. <laughs> we hope that this stress will help to any of the listeners that are experiencing or are thinking about going into UX. These are very real stress that me and Mika are dealing with and also the people that we've talked to. So just to give you a realistic point of view that UX is not all just like sunshine and roses and life is all like great there. There are some things that struggles that we deal with that we're currently working with because stress is inevitable and it's in our lives so we have to work with it but i just wanted to now shift over now to let all our listeners know that this is the end of our season so we'll be taking a break we are going to go on summer vacation and it's very neat much needed as you can tell from our stress You know, it was like, honestly, this podcast has been so much fun. And we've only been sharing this with our friends and network because social media is a bit too much to handle for us right now. So we apologize that we have no social media presence and we're not doing any marketing. (laughs) But it's because we're working on it, though. We're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. So yeah, we also have not only we have our full time job to deal with, we are trying to take it slow and just enjoy the journey. So that's why we decided to do our podcast as season. So this is the end of our first season so we'll be taking a break it's, it's not going to be a long break we'll probably pick it up between like within one to two months after but we have some exciting mm-hmm. plans for the next season so we are thinking of bringing in guests so other ux designers and to talk with and just in case like you get bored me and mika <laughs> we have like something that that's fresh yeah. perspective yeah um, we need some new people <laughs> Yeah, we need some new to people talk, to talk yeah. to. And like, we haven't even really yeah, talked we, to we, new people. Yeah. <laughs> and I also wanted to let listeners know to follow and give us a rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And that would help so much. And also let us know what topics you want us to dive into. Do you want us to talk about just like Japan itself or maybe just UX or maybe both UX in Japan? So we love that input. And you can send us that input on our social media on Instagram. We're designer.sushi on Instagram and on Twitter. We are designer sushi, or you can send us an email at designer sushi podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, just let us know. But other than that, yeah, it's been really nice to share the story. And it's really nice talking to you, Mika. And hopefully, Same yeah. here. <laughs> I would love to it's see this a wonderful podcast, season. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So hopefully, yeah, we all have a wonderful vacation and we'll see you back soon, shortly. To season two. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, bye. Bye.